standard issue for all women. Hello, Jen here to tell you about this week's episode of The Sunday Chops. Now, for anyone who has dated or is dating, you will know that it is a minefield and it's growing increasingly difficult to navigate thanks to the use of online apps. But fret ye not, there is help at hand. Fortunately, educator and social worker turned anonymous relationships expert, la la la, let me explain, is here to talk us through it with her unique brand of advice. Lala is known for her hilarious, honest and relatable Instagram content, which she's already turned into a book called Block, Delete, Move On and a regular column in OK Magazine. She's about to launch a new podcast. It's not you, it's them. But it might be you. I had a lovely time chatting to her for this week's Chops about how she turned her thoughts on dating, sex and relationships into an online community of hundreds of thousands of people, common relationship pitfalls that we fall into, calling out bad behaviour and what the what is a beige flag. I had a great time chatting to Lala and I hope you enjoy listening to this as much as I enjoyed recording it. I am joined by Lala, aka La la la, let me explain. Anonymous relationships expert. La la, you were a social worker and educator turned Instagrammer. You now have a regular relationship advice column with OK Magazine. A book called Block, Delete, Move On, which I've been listening to, the audiobook, the last couple of days. And it's amazing. And I literally wish that someone had given it to me when I was like 22 years old and just been like, here you go. And I, I really hope that it will be out of date by the time my daughter's old enough to need relationship advice but if it isn't and and it might not be I'm just gonna go here you go (laughs) this is everything you need to know see you in a couple of hours and we'll chat about it you're about to launch a podcast it's a lot tell me Lala how did you get here oh wow like much of my life it's just been all completely accidental I have ADHD so I'm not very good at like future planning or anything like that if you'd say to me what's your five-year plan I can't actually even tell you my five-minute plan, if I'm honest with you. So there has never been any kind of like, this is the concept and this is my goal that I need to achieve. It's just sort of happened. I started off as a sexual health educator. I worked for the NHS and we provided sex and relationships education to children and young people in settings like schools, colleges, youth offending institutions. And whilst I was doing that, I was also doing voluntary work in prison. So I I always had a kind of, you know, affinity and maybe a vocation, I guess, to go towards that kind of field of helping people. And when I was a sexual health and relationships educator, we used to get a lot of disclosures from young people. So it had been like the first time that they'd ever really heard anyone talking about consent or talking about sex and what's normal with sex and what isn't. And and we'd often get young people approaching us afterwards saying, I didn't realise what my boyfriend was just doing to me every night was wrong, or even I didn't realise what my dad was doing to me Mm. isn't what was happening to every other child in the class. That made me go, oh, I really, I don't want to just refer this to a social worker and walk away and never know what's ever happened. I want to be the person who who really helps so that motivated me to go into social work social work is obviously about changing generational patterns looking at relationships and abusive relationships most often Um, there's so much domestic uh, abuse even in in cases that are, are predominantly neglect or predominantly sexual abuse or physical abuse in about 80 percent of cases there would be domestic abuse at somewhere in the family as a feature so I became 
pretty uh, expert in that. But at the same time, I was also having relationships with men that weren't meeting my needs, where I was going home, I was doing all this work with families, then I was going home to men who were ambivalent to me or cruel to me or trying to control me. So I had all this professional information and this expertise knowledge, but I never, ever applied it to myself. So it was like I was these two different people. I was this totally naive data, totally lost with men, but then really strong at going into other people's houses and going, this man isn't treating you correctly. This is what you should be doing. And then I guess I had the kind of relationship with a fuckboy that broke the camel's back. It was the one that suddenly made all these light bulbs go off in me about the red flags that I'd overlooked and the stupid things that I was doing and the decisions that I was making. And it was like I had this real strong urge to just tell every woman I knew, like, fuck, this is where we've been going wrong, you know. And it was like I had just had this sense that I needed to get it out. So I started writing a blog. And at the time, I was still a practicing social worker. So my my blogs were totally anonymous. And they were very much about my dating life and and what I was doing. Uh, And I was really open because I was anonymous. So there wasn't any danger with that. And, And it all just sort of stemmed from there went viral very quickly, all through word of mouth, uh, because women were suddenly going, fuck, that's me. And these are these are the embarrassing things I don't tell my friends. And, they, you know, it's really relatable. And we just kind of gathered as a community. And then everything has kind of snowballed really off, off the back of that. So I've listened to a pilot of the podcast. It's not you, it's them, but it might be you. It's really good fun. Uh, but it also tackles some serious subjects. Can you tell us what listeners can expect to hear? So it is a three times weekly podcast, which sounds a lot. Yeah, that is a uh, lot. But they are, <laughs> yeah, they're short bursts. So yeah. they're going to be like 15, 20 minutes each. And it's an opportunity to kind of take the things that I do on Instagram and put them in one place that people can find the answers to their questions. People can just have a little break and tune in and get more of a kind of the stuff that I do, but from my voice, because everything that I do on Instagram is, is, is very much written form. My okay column is written form and that doesn't always suit everyone. And I know people love to have podcasts in their ears. So we're going to do an agony advice style thing. You know, my answering questions, dating dilemmas once a week on a Wednesday. On Mondays, we're going to start with a kind of hot topic. So one of the things that happens to me on a daily basis is that people will message me and they'll say, what do you think about this Philip Schofield thing? Or what do you think about this woman who's had the, the you know, late term abortion? What do you think about Andrew Tate being arrested? And rather than just answering that individually in, you know, to DMs, I will be giving my uh, views on, on those kind of topics, having a look, a bit of a deep dive in, into those things, looking at both sides and where we can maybe land in the middle. And then on a Wednesday, we'll be doing uh, readers' questions, dilemmas around dating, relationships, love, sex, all of that. And then on Friday, we're just going to try and make it fun. So we'll have Ick Stories, Fuckboy Replies, which is a feature that I do where people send the texts that they want to send to fuckboys to me, and then I reply to them either as a fuckboy or as myself saying, look, really, do not send this text. <laughs> And we'll be doing misogynist of the week. Twice a month, I'll be having guests on to help me answer readers' dilemmas. So it'll be a mishmash of things. But what I'm hoping is it's going to be really fun and really engaging and be another space for the community to come together uh, and delve through all of these topics. I think that there is a perception that women are kind of like these sort of 
emotional messes who sort of put up with all sorts of bad behavior and are basically just grateful for whatever scraps we can get right that's that's kind of a, a picture that is painted a little bit and I refute this but I do acknowledge that it does seem to be skewed a little bit uh that women are more likely to be mistreated than mistreat and also more likely to accept and excuse mistreatment. Why is this still the case? I'm not sure if it's necessarily the case, because I think that actually it's fairly balanced if we're just talking about mistreatment, being a prick to your partner, being selfish, not considering your partner's needs or or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I think on on a basic prick level, I I actually think the genders are, are... relatively on balanced. a more prick level on on on, the on a upper echelons well, of prickery if we were on, to... <laughs> i mean i am the staunchest feminist yeah. you will ever meet but i am very clear to work with facts and mm-hmm. actually in terms of gender in terms of control coercive control any type of power control behavior whilst women can still display some of those behaviors in in relationships there isn't the structure there isn't the institutions there isn't the history and the legacy of the way that women were controlled that makes it you you know coercive control is a gendered thing Mm -hmm. domestic abuse is a gendered thing that doesn't mean that women can't be violent towards men doesn't mean that women can't control men and that certainly happens i did my instagram lives this week and one of the questions was from a mum who was really worried about her 18 year old son who's got involved with a woman who is already on a suspended sentence for violence towards her Mm ex-partner And the the son just went off with this girlfriend three months ago and basically never came back. Won't engage with the family, only comes back when he needs money. Occasionally tells him that he's terrified, but he can't leave because she's threatening to kill herself. It can still be experienced by men. However, overwhelmingly, because of barriers like finances, because of the legacy of Mm -hmm. the expectation that a woman will serve and a man will provide because of the expectation that the man will be the person running the household, gender-based violence and control much more likely to happen and to be enabled to happen uh, when when the perpetrator is a man and, and obviously the victim is a woman. That there is still a huge amount about gender and I don't think we will ever get away from that, actually. And I'm sick of trying to convince people, and, and, and this is why... I'm really clear when when you you know when you said that statement at the beginning I don't want to be that feminist who goes yeah it is predominantly worse for women because I think that when you acknowledge that actually things can be shit for men mm-hmm. that's the way that I get men on board that's the way that I get men to be able to go you are listening and you are hearing you're not denying our experience and then when they can hear it from that perspective they're much more likely to be on board with a change because we need a collective change. We need a whole societal, cultural change. We need men to be telling their friends, it's not how this works. You know, don't treat your wife like that. Or don't raise your daughters in mm. a way that teaches them that they're going to be, you know, a servant to a man. So, yes, yeah, so things are still much shitter for women when it comes to dating. Much shitter. But things are shit for men too. Dating is just hard. Why is dating so hard? Do you think that dating apps just drive toxic relationship behaviour? I I think things have significantly changed. I don't know how old you are. I reckon you're probably about the same age as me. I'm 40. 
I'm 41. Yeah. And when I first started dating, which was far too early, actually, I was about 14 when I first started running, chasing men down the fucking street, begging them to love me. <laughs> but it just used to feel much easier. You met people through friends. You met people at uni. You met people at the pub. You met people, you know, mm. um, friends of friends and whatever. And And it felt like you just kind of fell into relationships and everybody was investing their time. You know, you'd have to ring somebody on their house phone to be able to make plans with them. And it feels like people were invested. There weren't these massive amount of options at your fingertips. Mm. Uh, and if you were talking to someone, you were talking to that person. And I, I didn't struggle with, with, with meeting people or falling in love or having people love me at all. And then I became a single parent. Uh, well, and I, I, I'd been in a relationship with his dad prior to the dawn of the apps. And then became a single mum once Tinder and that had already started blowing up. And I was completely naive. I just jumped in fanny first, not realising how much things had changed because of these apps. And I think now we're kind of 10 years down the line from that. Post-pandemic, things have gone completely awry. I don't think that... I, I think the apps have led people to a feeling that there's always something better. Yeah. Um, there is absolutely no point in trying to invest your time because you can swipe another 10 people tonight. doesn't matter if it goes wrong. People are kind of dividing their time and attention between multiple people and and I think that that we're just in a mess we're we're, we're all in a complete mess and what I worry about is people who never had the benefit of dating prior to the apps and dating prior to this and but I think the problem for those of us who did have that are we're a bit like no this is how it's supposed to be and now the new world is totally different and it doesn't meet our expectations so I just think everybody is really quite confused and are treating people as disposable. But do you think that there's, because I kind of hope, but maybe it's just me because, you know, I'm officially old now or whatever. Like, I, No, you're not. We're young. We're yeah, young. of course. We're very, we're, we're just young whippersnappers. No, um, I had, an, I, I got an injury the other day mm. and, I, and the, uh, the doctor said I didn't need to get it stitched because I'm so young. My body will just heal itself. I'll so, take that. Thank you. Yeah. I needed that. So, but, but like, I, d- I don't know if it's just because, all right, I'll reframe that because I've been doing it a while now. <laughs> I feel like I have some of the apps still on my phone, but I don't really use them anymore. I feel this real kind of fatigue, like app fatigue, like, oh, I can't be bothered. What's the point? Like, I know I'm only going to meet like idiots basically like it's it's not this is not going to lead to the love of my life or whatever and I I've actually stopped expecting that my expectations have shifted significantly with you know a decade plus of dating app use is that just me because I am so jaded (laughs) Or, or is that do you think societally we're kind of reaching a bit of a you know tipping point with these apps Oh, it's absolutely not just you. It mm. is everyone. And I, and I think that people follow this same pattern now, is that you join the apps, maybe with a bit of hope and expectation, if it's your first or second time. I don't have any hope or expectation anymore, much like you. I just kind of go, oh, I'm a bit bored. Oh, I haven't been speaking to anyone for a while. Maybe I should. Yeah. Maybe things will be yeah. different. Maybe this will be the time. <laughs> yeah. There are people that meet the love of their lives on apps. So maybe 
you know, I'm never going to meet someone just sitting in my flat. So mm-hmm. although I do get excited when a sky man has to come or, you know, <laughs> a gas engineer, I always think, well, maybe this will be the meet cute and I will just meet him sitting in my flat. But no, everybody is using apps in the same way and they go on and it's just swipe, 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 swipe. Yeah, and I think what a lot of people are finding is that even actually getting beyond the stage of just talking on the app has become difficult. I think about 10 years ago, even dating as a single mum, I was finding it quite easy to meet people who wanted to meet up and go on dates. You know, Tinder in 2014 or whatever was was pretty active. But now it just seems like everybody's just kind of maybe there to get that little dopamine hit, that little bit of attention that you get when you, you know, when you get that match. Uh, but but very rarely are people actually taking that step over the next line to meet each other, to to really give that time and effort. And and I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm struggling to meet any man who feels like they're in a position that they want a relationship. Most people are not on the apps going, I want a relationship. Mm. They're saying, oh, I'm just here to see what's going on. And then a bit like what you said at the beginning about the gendered stuff, you know, it often feels like it's the woman going, well, I'm up for a relationship whenever you're ready. <laughs> you know, uh, so, yeah, it's just a fucking mess. And I don't know what the answer is. I really don't. I think I think people, sadly, have been quite ruined by social media and dating apps. And, uh, and I, I'm a bit worried about the future of humanity. I'm going to make a confession. Fun fact. I'm actually banned from Tinder. What did you do? I don't know because they'll never tell you. They don't tell you. They just say you're banned and they won't explain why. And so what I think, because I don't believe that I did anything bad. uh, I'm I'm not really that kind of person, honestly. What I think happened is I did actually meet a man on Tinder who, for reasons that I have sort of gone into in the podcast before, ended up reporting to the police. He was a real wrong'un and had been a wrong'un to, it transpires, a whole fucking catalogue of women in different cities all across the world, like a real bad guy. Anyway, he I ended up reporting him to the police. I think that he made like a malicious report to Tinder against me as some kind of like, I, I don't, I don't fucking know. But yeah, it's so seedy, isn't it? Banned from Tinder. Yeah. Really seedy. I'm CD. sort of like almost proud of it, but it did. I oh yeah, I'd put that on my Instagram bio. Did make my life a bit a bit difficult for a while. To be yeah, I bet. But Tinder's the dregs now. Tinder is it? it oh, Tinder is absolutely seen by men mm. as a hookup app, and maybe not all men because you can never just generalise. But but a l- great proportion of men just think that women are. are on Tinder purely for one night stands. I think all of them are just hookup apps, though. They are. Hinge. They kind of are, but no. But Hinge is the more relationshipy one. Yeah, but don't, didn't you think Bumble. when Hinge arrived, I was like, actually, I don't want to know your personality. I wish, I, I wish I had. I wish it. They had, all say I wish the I'd same not had this thing. insight into your life. You like traveling. Well, congratulations. I know. And they all want someone who doesn't take life too seriously. Yeah, yeah, and quite a lot of them. Whoa, shit! What's the thing they say? No drama. Oh, no shit because i was Fuck. here for i wanted to bring drama yeah. Fuck. Yeah. damn it it's just telling you that you are they want a quiet little woman yes. who's not going to yeah moan about no psychos shit. please oh yeah shit again really wanted to bring that <laughs> anyway it's almost too much fun but um i want to ask you a little bit about the various terms that we use to describe these 
fuckboys, fuckboy being one of them. I saw an article yesterday on stylist.com, which drove me mental, to be honest. There's loads of terms now, ghosting, benching, negging. My new favourite, beige flags, which is a bit different. (laughs) And I might come back to in a minute. It's not really in the same bracket as those things. But anyway, is there a danger that by sort of indulging this and and making up these names and blah 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 why don't we just call a cunt a cunt like like toxic are we making toxic behaviors a thing by giving them these names well no i think they were a thing in the first place and then labeling them is what helps us to understand what's going on i think the labels i actually think the labels are a bit sort of farcical really but they I think it's a really nice thing to know, like, ah, that's what he's doing to me. And actually, it's not just him doing that to me. There's a word for it. So millions of people relate. And that can give you some comfort and an ability to kind of process the situation and understand a bit more why it might be happening. I think what happens is, and I always see this in in mainstream media, you know, print magazines and whatever, that there is this kind of like it's almost this kind of looking down on on people who are dating. It's almost this, oh, look at these silly names, ghosting and benching. Is this what the daters are doing these days? Oh, oh, oh look at these idiots. So I think there was this, it's almost like a judgmental way of reporting these words. Mm-hmm. But actually, I, as I say, I do think that these things are dating phenomenons, they are things that have often arisen out of the new way that we date online and the way that people are behaving towards each other. And I think it's really useful to, to name them. Okay. That's an, that is an interesting perspective that I hadn't really thought about as someone yeah. who does date and has experienced those behaviours. So I wanted to ask you, what are the most common issues that you see come up? I would guess, as someone who's done a bit of work on themselves over the years, that a lot of the problems stem from like a fundamental thing in attachment style incompatibility do you think that is one of the the biggest problems yes and again going back to that thing that you said about the men being more of the Mm -hmm. bricks something that I have noticed and this is not like a a well-researched phenomenon or anything this Mm -hmm. is me is that women tend to present more anxiously and I do wonder if that is the way that we are raised differently to boys so basically there's a theory of attachment which is applied to sort of children and how they respond to their caregivers and the way that their caregivers treat them and so anxious attachment is basically like to summarize it an anxious attachment style would be like needy and insecure an avoidant attachment style would be like well see you later too much I'm off and a secure attachment style is like everything's cool here I'm a functioning (laughs) functioning adult human that's sort of in a nutshell but there's loads and loads of stuff out there about it and including in Lala's book so I have an anxious attachment style Mm -hmm. or or I think I do I'm not sure this stuff is also complicated because actually I can make really strong secure friendships Mm -hmm. with women I don't have any anxiety in friendships at all so I can make attachments to people Mm -hmm. I can be really secure with people Uh, and I can make really secure attachments with men if I if they're giving me the right thing back I become insecure if they're not giving me the right thing so I don't know if I'm insecurely attached or whether actually this is just a really normal anxious response to somebody who's not communicating properly with you Mm -hmm. but my dad left when I was seven ran off with another woman my mum's best friend and that always left me with this sense of uh please love me like men don't like me men reject me I'm not good enough for men so I kind of termed that as an anxious attachment style now I know that if I 
date a man who has that avoidant attachment style. So he'll be very up for intimacy. And when I say intimacy, I don't just mean sex. I mean, you know, vulnerability together and openness and spending time together. And then after that intimacy, they go off for days and they don't contact you or, or, or whatever. Something like that for me as an anxiously attached person is, I mean, I will spend that four days in literal hell. I mm. can't think of anything else. My stomach is in knots. I can't speak because I don't know if he's still interested in me. And of course, that goes back to triggering things from, does my dad actually love me? Am I good enough for my dad? You know, which is why we all really could benefit fit from therapy before dating but yeah so what I have found and maybe that is me um, but 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 it certainly relates to a lot of the people that I've worked with and that I come across on my page is that that a lot of women have that kind of anxious need for reassurance and there's nothing wrong with that it doesn't mean you're fucked up it doesn't mean that you need therapy and a lot of men come with that kind of avoidance and that like oh I'm not ready for a relationship let's not move too fast let's just go with the flow kind of stuff so so there does seem to be a bit of a mismatch and and as you said an avoidant and an anxious attached person are like the worst combination and it's a really good idea when you are dating to know what your attachment style is and to figure that out and you know I went on a date with a guy recently and he told me that he had mummy issues and he had an avoidant attachment style and at that moment that was my opportunity to go this I know this is gonna fuck me up but instead of that, I was like, oh, yeah, but I can work with this. You know, now that I understand his style, I can really work with this. And when he's not in touch for a couple of days, I know that that's, but it's, still, you know, for the two days that he wasn't in touch, I still went through literal hell. So I need to know myself. I need to know that I cannot date avoidance. So we all need to know this shit before we get into dating or be with people who are willing to work on their own shit and do therapy and change stuff because our attachment styles can change. The stuff in your book about this is really fascinating because what you say is that you think... So, like, anecdotally, yes, it would seem like there are more women with sort of uh, anxious attachment styles and more men with avoidant attachment styles. And when you think about that, like, when I've been sort of reading up on this stuff, I was like, oh, that's just what men are like, isn't it? Like, they're just sort of like that. They're just... That's kind of, like, how we bring them up, isn't it? To sort of, you know, we bring women up to be like, hey, love me, marry me, do this, have kids with me. And, and we bring boys up to be like, no, I'm going to go and sow my wild oats and do this and do that and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, well, that's just... That's just how we're socialised, isn't it? So the stuff in your book is really fascinating because that is sort of the argument you make right that you think that there tend to be more men who are avoidant because of the way that we raise boys right yeah exactly even the little things like you know I really noticed it I had a son and a lot of my friends had daughters and my son would fall over and while I tend to him uh, I'd be like okay come on like yeah be brave be brave be brave whereas my friends with daughters would be cuddling them for a while and be like, you're all right you're okay it's you know even those responses that we have to silly things like them falling over or you know natural childhood stuff I think people are more thoughtful about it now but but we have we often raise our children almost subconsciously mm. you know because of t towards what we think that they need to be as adults independent man and woman who cares for the entire family and learns how to cook and, and all of that and it and it definitely influences how we date and I also think some of the stuff around um not just attachment but the modeling that we see from our parents yeah. and I'm not sure 
again, if this is going to change, but generationally, we would have all seen certain structures in our households. We would have all seen certain behaviours in our households. And I think it's really difficult to kind of rid ourselves of these really strong gendered expectations when it comes to dating, no matter how feminist you are, no matter how much you think, well, this shit doesn't work. This shit is bollocks. This is not how it's supposed to be. The world is set up in such a way and people are so programmed that it's very difficult to step out of it all. It's very difficult to change your attachment style. Very difficult to change any of this stuff, really, uh, without meeting somebody who's also very willing to be, you know, in the same mindset as you with it all. I guess sort of like links to that and I think something that probably comes up quite a lot in in the kind of stuff that you get from from members of your community if you are in as we call it the kids uh us la la we're kids still if you are in a situationship Mm. which is it's the very murky gray area between like i guess like fuck buddies and and being in a committed relationship so there can be like genuine affection between you you can see each other regularly you can do like dating stuff or whatever but at the end of the day you kind of like go your separate ways and you know that you're not actually in a committed relationship like you're not going around calling him your boyfriend or anything like that and and you know they're not going around calling you their girlfriend etc say you're in that situation and all the people around you are saying to you like oh no 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 this isn't right like no this guy's a fuck boy get out now are they right are they always yes. right? You know, it's, it's so difficult. But Esther Perel, I don't know if you've heard of her. She's amazing, incredible relationship counsellor. And she refers to a situationship as being in a state of stable ambiguity. Mm-hmm. And I think that that sums it up really well. Because like you say, it's that they're your regular person. You're maybe seeing them once a week or more to have sex. You know, but then there is this real ambiguity about what are we? And normally the situationship is characterized by the fact that one person is hanging around because they're developing feelings and they really want more and they're just waiting for the other person to agree. But the other person is very satisfied with having what feels like a relationship, but without having to commit. And that is normally an anxious and an avoidant, you know, the anxious one will be the one who sticks around just no matter what, waiting to be loved. And then the avoidant one will be like, yeah, I like a bit of this, but I feel suffocated if it feels like it's got a label on it or I have to give too much to this. And I think when you're in it, when you are that anxiously attached person or, you know, you're the one in the situationship who wants more, And you've got friends saying to you, oh, but can't you see it? You know, generally your friends are probably right because they're seeing it from a really base level perspective. They're seeing it without any emotions involved. And I think it can be really difficult to believe your friends' criticisms of the situationship because when you're with that person, I mean, none of us are fucking stupid, you know? We don't sit around with people who are treating us with stable ambiguity for no reason. We do it because when they're fucking us, they're saying, you're mine, I love being with you, there's nothing more than, a, you know, whatever the fuck they're saying. We're doing it because it feels like there's meaning. Uh, and they, they, when they're with us, they're with us. And it is that sense of like, this is beautiful, it's perfect. But then when they're not with us, we are in a state of anxiety. We don't know where we stand. We don't know what the fuck they're doing because actually they can do anything because we're not in a committed exclusive relationship. But the thing that keeps you there is 
that hope and and the wonderful feelings that you get when you when you are together and I think a lot of us will stay for far too long in situations like that with this sense of well you know what once he sorts out his mortgage he's going to have more space to 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 commit to me or oh he's just having a load of shit with his ex-wife at the moment once that's resolved I'm sure we'll be in a oh once he's you know employment you know, his redundancy is coming up or whatever we make these excuses that things are going to change at some point in the future when his situation changes and actually I think we need to stop and really think about what do we want what do we want mm-hmm. do we want a relationship do we want this man at any cost is that what you what is it? Would you lay down and you because he is so wonderful and such a match to you? Do you want him? It well, regardless of the context, regardless of you not being able to have him properly, or is it a relationship that you want? Could you have that wonderful feeling relationship with somebody else? Uh, and then I think you have to get to that. But is it them or is it the relationship that you want? Is it the love that you want? And actually, you could have that from anyone. Do you not think it is possible though? She asks for no reason whatsoever. Asking for a friend, yeah. Asking for a friend. Do you think it is not possible, however, that maybe the woman in this situation actually, like, she gets enough out of it? That's fine. Like, she's got a full life, you know, she's happy to, like, bugger off, you know, after spending the day together and just like, okay, cool, See, see you next week. That's fine. I've got my own shit to do. That's an ideal situationship if both people are totally satisfied that that then there's no problems there's nothing to worry about you're both getting your needs met when you're together and you're both really happy to have that space and uh, and that sense of freedom when you're not together there's no issues there it's not that every woman must feel like Mm. she has to have commitment no no some women really enjoy this some women really just want casual some women don't want any emotional attachments or they'd want an emotional attachment but they don't want the man too much in their life that's fine the issue is when it's stable ambiguity the issue is when it is one person dictating the speed and pace of things and it's one person dictating you know where this relationship goes whilst the other one is silently dying inside because they don't want to say listen I need this to be a relationship because they're frightened that saying that will scare that person off so they're just kind of like, actually, I love being with him so much, but when I'm not with him or her, I feel like shit. I feel anxious. I don't know where they are. I'm, I want somebody who's checking in with me regularly. I want somebody who wants to commit to me. And if you're feeling like that, then it's a problem. If you're happy and you're satisfied, it's not a problem. Keep going. But if you feel like shit, then there has to come a point where you say, I'm not just going to keep... Because these things can go on for years. Yeah. And then often at the end of those years, what happens is that that person goes and falls in love and has a proper relationship with someone else (laughs) you would die at the amount of women that message me about the fact that they've been in a situation with somebody for five years and then the man has said no no not ready for a relationship not ready for a girlfriend and then a month later they're all over Facebook getting engaged to somebody new it happens all the time you know if somebody doesn't want a relationship with you after spending a lot of time with you they might never want a relationship with you. And that's fine. It's not a reflection on you. It's nothing mm. for you to feel sad about. But if you're sitting there in like relationship, you know, purgatory in, in, in the departure lounge, just waiting for your plane to take off and it never does, there has to come a point where you say, I can't do this anymore. It's not, it's hurting me. Lala, I, I mean, I absolutely, honestly, 
love your book so much. I think it's fantastic. I think everyone should go and buy it. And you. you know, it, I'm like I said, I've got the audio book. I'm nodding along as I'm doing my cleaning this morning. I think it's fantastic, and I think a lot of people who have dated or are dating will get a lot out of it. When does the podcast start, please? We are launching on the 17th of July and it'll be Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays throughout the whole summer and hopefully beyond. And where can we follow you on social media? I'm mainly Instagram at la 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 let me explain. I've got a TikTok, I've got a Twitter but I don't use either of them because quite frankly I can't work out either of those apps at all. So I'm just sticking to Instagram. That's where you'll find me. Finally, what is a beige flag please? Do you know what? I don't know because I'm not big on TikTok. It's some stupid TikTok thing that was probably made up by a 17-year-old. So I don't know whether it's worth paying much attention to. But I think it's something to do with... Because I hear people saying my beige flag is... And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's supposed to be a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know. I don't care. I don't I don't take relationship advice from 17-year-old Gen Z TikTokers. I'm quite right too. I, I think it is, it's like a, instead of a red flag, which is like a danger, a danger flag, right? A warning that someone is going to be bad for you or whatever. Uh, yeah. I believe a beige flag is like where someone's going to be like boring. Or just oh, like right. A bit, a bit shit. So like, I don't know, like, like they, they, I don't know, they keep their socks on when they take all their clothes off. Oh, right. Beige flag. <laughs> right so like not a harmful behavior but one that's like one that makes you oh, recoil in horror is that what it is so beige flag so. is just like i've you've given me the ick kind of i think that, that i think that's of... what it is something that gives you the ick la la thank you this has been great fun but uh also like yeah like i said i i really do love the book so good luck with the podcast thank you so much for having me Standard issue for all women.